Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back. A little bit of an impromptu episode, episode number two here on the Mets Up Podcast. I'm one of the co-hosts, Mark Luino, Giraffe Neck Mark, also on here with James Shiano. You guys know the drill. Thank you for coming back for episode two. A lot of amazing support on episode one. Basically like 3,000 listens between YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. Truly incredible for our first episode. So we're back for a second one. We have a lot of great things to talk about today. Francisco Lindor, Steve Cohen opening day. We know what the roster's looking like. And right now when we're recording it, we are, what, under 48 hours away from opening day? Exciting yep. stuff here on the Mets Dub Podcast. Exciting stuff for Mets fans. We have a lot to p- talk about. James, how you feeling? How's uh, how's your week been? It's been a while since we've talked. Yeah, feeling great. It has been a long time. Kind of miss you, man. A lot's happened, but not that much. Not a, a lot of nothing, but also a lot of maybe something. Really the last 48 hours, things have kind of kicked into like extra gear, high throttle, if you will, with the uh, Audel Indoor drama. Dude, it's crazy. The stuff like that was happening last night. So in case you guys don't know, Francisco Lindor has his deadline. In case you gave. guys don't know. Listen, there might be a couple people. That we, <laughs> no, we I hope, have, I, yeah. We have I some non-Mets fans that are listening to this Mets podcast. So we got to give you know everybody their fair shot, but... In case you don't know, Francisco Lindor gave a hard deadline of he wants to sign an extension before opening day. He doesn't want to talk during the season. He doesn't want to be distracted. He wants to be focused on winning when the games come along. So the Mets have right now about 48 hours until opening day begins, and they are trying to extend Francisco Lindor, of course, because he's the best shortstop in baseball, top 15 player at the absolute least. Why wouldn't you want to re- or, you know, extend this guy? And there have been a lot of talks right now and a lot of numbers being thrown around. And last night, I mean, we saw some crazy numbers coming out. Yeah, some legitimate fireworks. It's after the 10 years for $325 million that Steve has now since mentioned as the final offer was seemingly declined. Things really exploded in the media. And there were a lot of there was a lot of attitude, a lot of energy, a lot of bad energy, negative energy. And a lot of people really were upset kind of at both parties i would say i think there was a lot of people upset with both steve cohen and francisco lindor not the same people of course but there was a lot of animosity geared towards both of those parties okay basically just thinking about a negotiation standpoint i don't really disagree with either person's strategy right now i think francisco lindor is he's a player he's at the peak of his value he's trying to extract every single dollar he possibly can out of the richest owner in professional sports or just baseball and steve cohen needs to make sure that he can't be bossed around just because he's so rich and he needs to be able to set deadlines and understand value as he and the people in the Mets player development department sees it. So I think there's a stalemate right now of just two very, very strong forces. I don't, I don't know what's going to give. What do you think? Yeah. So, I mean, like the fact that 
it's an interesting negotiation because this is something that we just really haven't seen with the Mets before. Let's just get this first and foremost out there. If Steve Cohen's not the owner of the Mets, this isn't even a conversation that we're having right now. Talking about yeah, re-signing Francisco Lindor. He's not even on the team if he doesn't own the Mets right now. So, yeah, we've already traded for him. Now. So the people getting on Steve Cohen about, you know, either you're not paying him enough, you're being cheap, or the fact that you shouldn't pay him enough. Well, let's backtrack a little bit here because without Steve Cohen, this is not even a problem that we don't have. So Mets fans, we are get, we got a little spoiled here. We got a little too big for our shoes a little bit. We were like, all right, no more Will Ponds. We're going to ball out. We're going to go crazy. So let's just get that first and foremost. Without Steve Cohen, we don't even have this Francisco Lindor conversation. It's pretty crazy to call someone cheap who's offering someone else $325 million. Yes, and that's like the argument of the other side of, well, he's offering $325 million because Lindor came back, originally wanted 12 for 400 which would be what? I think that's the biggest contract. AAV-wise, or no, not AAV-wise, but maybe total money. It's up there with Mike Trout. It's more than what Mookie Betts got a- last AAV year. AAV is Cole, it's 36. And then Trout and Strasburg, Rendon are all 35. And Granke's 34 with Bauer. So, I mean, $400 million over 12 years, that's quite a chunk of change. That puts him at the top of the top you know, of the list. And when you talk about total money, I think Trout might be the only guy that got more. He's getting more than Mookie Betts would get with that contract offer. All you need to know is that's not going to happen because the Mets came back, said tw- uh, 10 for 325. And Lindor's counter back after the Mets said last and final offer was 12 for 385. So the really good thing I think to take out of this is that it seems that the AAV, they're both on the same page. Right there. 32, 33 million dollars. They're happy to pay him. Now it's just about length. And of course, if you're a player, you want to make it as long as physically possible to be getting that amount of money, especially Lindor, who if in 10 years, he'll be 37 going into his 38-year-old season. He's not going to get $33 million on the market from anybody unless no. for some reason he's hitting 50 homers and 50 doubles with 100 stolen bases a season at 37. A Barry Bonds-like second prime. Yeah, that's not going to happen. That's just, we know why Barry Bonds had that second prime. I mean, it's very obvious. But for Francisco Lindor, you can't blame him. He's really good. He's the best shortstop in baseball. And if you don't think that, he's at the absolute least top three. And the amount of talent and the stuff that he brings to the field, throw out 2020. We talked about it before. Lindor has, you know, talked about not giving full effort twice, basically twice in his career. right when he was getting called up and right when, you know, last year when the Indians were not paying him. He clearly needs to be a guy who gets a little bit motivated, gets, got demotivated because he just wasn't being shown any sort of respect whatsoever for the kind of player that he is. He's going to ball out. He's been going crazy this spring. And like, you can't look too much into spring training numbers. They don't matter at the end of the day. It really means nothing. But I think it's really encouraging to see that Francisco Lindor is hitting the ball really well, playing good defense. This is a guy who's going to be a cornerstone of the franchise. I am all for, I'm completely on the side of pay this man whatever he wants. I want him to retire in the orange and blue with the New York Mets. I got my jersey the other day. I'm excited. I did. Really? I, I did it. <laughs> and I got it for me, which is great. A nice Aww. little gift, you know. Uh, but you, I just, I don't want to see anyone playing shortstop for the next 10 years besides Francisco Lindor. It was really grinding my gears last night on Twitter when people were trying to say he was a defensive first shortstop. Like this guy, I don't think people recall, but from 2017 to 2019, three seasons, he was averaging 34 home runs a year. He was averaging over 100 runs scored, over 80 RBIs, an 8% walk rate, and a 14% K rate with an average of 280, 342, 514 as a slash. That is unbelievable. And also, also still averaging 
as a six-win player per season because the defense is so good. But this is not a slap hitter. This is not a. This is like there's no reason to say that Francisco Lindor is a glove for a shortstop. His glove may be better than his bat just because that is how good his glove is. Like he's silky smooth. We can see it every single day in spring training. But he tattoos the ball. He hits the piss out of it. Like there's no, there's no question that Francisco Lindor is like a power hitter, middle of the lineup bat, and he will continue to be that probably even after his defensive skills deteriorate like through his mid-30s. Like people were giving me shit last night because I called him a generational talent. And I don't think that's a like mistake at all. I fully I so stand well. by it because I think if you probably go through the history of, you know, baseball shortstops, and I'm about to do it on baseball reference stat head here, I'm going to find guys who have a three-year stretch of where they put up the numbers that he had that played shortstop. And I bet you there's not many on that list because, I mean, outside of like the 90s and the 2000s, the shortstop position was really just like a very defensive first position and any hitting that you got was a positive, hence why Ozzie Smith is a Hall of Famer. You think of the guys in the last, what, 20 years, think of the best shortstops that have been around. You talk probably about like Troy Tulowitzki, but he was hurt all the time. Yeah, wait, for two seasons? Like, yeah, come no, on. but talent-wise, I'm saying. Just like yeah, talent-wise. No, okay. gener- if you're going to find classify a generational talent, it's like Troy Tulowitzki and like all the new guys now. But if you look before this like new wave of shortstops that can hit, that can field, that can run, just incredible athletes. There will not be any no more Garcia Parra slander on correct. this podcast. No, Never I'll- again. I was I was about to talk about how good Nomar Garcia Parra was. Right, good. He was another, he, he was you know <laughs> he got injured as well, but his numbers he was better than Jeter. We know that. Of course. Yeah, I mean, wasn't he was close. Just a better player, and I mean, you want to talk about shortstops in New York? If Lindor does what he did in Cleveland, he's going to be better than Derek Jeter as an actual player. Is he going to win as much? It's tough, but he's going to be a better player for sure. So I mean, like the fact that people were saying he's not a generational talent and. Insane how much stock people are putting into 2020. They're saying basically 19, 18, 17 mattered for nothing. He's a, I mean, I saw people saying stuff last night that 10, 10 for 200, $20 million a year, guys. Yeah, I'd love That's to pay insane. him. I'd love to pay him 20 million a year. It's not going to happen. He's, he's too good. Literally, Correa just turned that down. I think he turned down 10 for 240. And he was like, absolutely not. <laughs> like, come and, on. And Correa shouldn't. He shouldn't be getting $24 million a year. I know he has the injury issues, but again, it's another guy who's like, Town is incredible. And that's another thing you have to talk about, Francisco Lindor. The guy's on the field all the time. Yeah, nonstop. Doesn't miss games. Those three seasons I was talking about, he was averaging 100, 158 games a year. Like that, that's, no, not 158, 154. But that's still incredible. That's pretty good. I mean, that's basically what, like an off day every month? He's like some, somehow, some way, the guy just doesn't really get injured either. Like he's just one of those freaks. So I'm I'm just like the slander that I was seeing last night, me and you both were tweeting about it's it. It's you know, crazy. Gi- Giraffe neck Mark Jeter had no range. That's James on Twitter. You can find us both. Follow us there. Great follows. But some of the like replies and stuff, I mean, I even saw a reply last night about how let me let me find it real quick but i was talking about how he's a generational talent pay the man and someone was like well the way that he's handling the counter offer bothers me and i go yeah i saw a lot of that too i was like what what do you mean what's bothering you about this because what is he just supposed to accept it because the mets gave him a lot 325 million dollars is a lot to anybody but he's worth he knows what he's worth that's the francesa francesa was like he didn't like that offer move on get a new one like where 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 are we getting a new one mike francesa how many francisco lindores are in major league baseball are you crazy and that is that's not even our worst tweet of the day we'll save that for later that's the run that's the runner up yes that's which is which i think just shows how bad the tweets were last night but i think even petriello was like yeah go find another francisco lindor there's a whole rack of them at the corner store like why are petriello. people discounting how good of a player that francisco lindor is it Maybe it's because there's like a lot of probably like 16, 17, 15 year olds that follow me on Twitter and play MLB The Show and that's where they get their takes from because he's not great in MLB The Show. He doesn't play well in that game. But in real life, he's unbelievable. 
possible? Like, I don't, I don't get it. It makes no sense. Dude, literally, I tried to make a joke on Twitter last night just to, like, keep, keep some vibes going. I said, wow, 40-year-old Francisco Lindor is going to be such a fun second baseman. And people were jumping down my throat. Like, how could you project that? Why are you worrying about a guy 15 years in the future? We need to win championships now. I was like, oh, 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 I need to come on. I'm making a joke. I think the good thing that I have seen is that it seems like everybody around baseball who truly knows baseball goes, the Mets should pay him. I think everybody knows 100%. that like, if the Mets really want to be this World Series team, want to compete for years and years to come, one of the ways you do that is you're strong up the middle and you probably can't find a stronger player right now than Francisco Lindor at shortstop. So it's just, I mean, like even like on the replies to the you know podcast Twitter, Mets up on Twitter, of course, as always, just stuff they're like, don't give him a blank check. And don't, they're like, don't, haven't we learned anything? I saw someone, hold on, hold on. I forgot about this. I'm going to get mad. I saw someone say, didn't you learn anything from Bobby Bonilla? We're leaving that <laughs> like silence a, in there for for reason because we are a, flabbergasted. It's like a different sport. <laughs> yeah, Bobby Bonilla. That's a different generation. Were you even born? This is coming from Mets fans. So it's like, I, here's my message to Mets fans. Everybody take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. We have a good team. We have good players and we're going to keep our good players. We're going to pay them. Don't think about Bobby Bonilla when you hear Francisco Lindor. Those two names should never cross paths. I have a great Bobby Bonilla stat right now. Francisco Lindor already has more 30 home run seasons than Bobby Bonilla. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and Bobby Bonilla played what? Like a power position. He didn't play short <laughs> Yeah, stuff. literally. He was a power hitter. So like, I mean, like just the comparisons that are being thrown out there. I saw even someone say something about, remember when we paid Jason Bay? And I go, yeah, I remember it. It has nothing to do with Francisco Lindor. Remember it. I'll never forget it. Yeah, like, <laughs> I just, we have like PTSD as Mets fans. I get it. Yeah. Like, you, a lot of people, we talked about it in our first episode. A lot of people like to be negative with the Mets. A lot of people just don't want the negative energy out there or want the negative energy out there. Cause like, oh, we're the Mets. We're doing the same thing over and over again. No, it's a new era. Positive. It's going to be okay. Do you want to hear some real telepathic shit? 44 seconds ago, someone responded to my tweet saying, Bobby Bonilla will be fun until 2035. Francisco will be done first. How could that be possible? How? how what who, the fuck? Why are we talking about Bobby Bonilla so much? <laughs> With no similarity. He's Also, he's getting paid, what, a million dollars a year? Yeah. <laughs> That's nothing to Steve Cohen. Steve Cohen wipes his We're going to make ass. that on black jerseys alone. Yeah, Steve Cohen wipes his ass with a million dollars. He literally doesn't care. The, the first thing Steve Cohen did when he received like the full vesting ownership was he put out $30 million to all of the Mets' non-essential employees to float them what last season was worth and this entire winter until this season is supposed to start. This is not a cheap man. This guy is not scared to pay people money. He just has what he believes to be the value that he thinks Francisco Lindor should be paid. And we talked about this on the first episode. Like The Mets, it showed through free agency and it's showing through this. They're not planning to overexert themselves just because they simply can. Like They're going to carry out what they believe they should carry out. And that... I could see Francisco Lindor simply being a little bit upset by that just because I feel like he's going to want to beat Tatis's AAV or his total, yeah, his total value because like this guy's played one full year in the league and I've already made like four all-star games. I've been to the World Series. Like I've competed for MVPs. Like I, and I understand that. I think I should be worth as much as him. And it's also funny that that exact contract he threw out was like just a smidge more than bets. Like he wants to, he wants to, like, everyone wants to like not knock up each other, knock up each other. But I don't know. I don't know if it's worth 
I don't know if this is worth it. <laughs> it's terrible. I think I think that they're going to meet in the middle. I think it's going to be okay. I think we're still going to see him sign before opening day because I really do think that both sides want to get it done. I think Francisco Lindor, like people are taking him asking for more money as being greedy. And I think, like yeah. you said earlier, it's just nego- negotiations. That's how no, it, it works. No, it is. It's a game. Cat and mouse. Yeah. You, it, as much as the Mets have said last and final offer, we've known that owners in the past and GMs in the past have said that, and it wasn't their last and final offer. They've offered more to get the guy. I think the Mets know that he's a key part of it. I think Francisco Lindor knows he's a key part of it. He knows his value. He knows that if the Mets want to be competitive, he's going to be a big part of it. They're going to meet in the middle. I've been. I think I texted you even at last night. I think eleven for three fifty is where they're going to end up going because that's eleven gives, is weird though. No one says an 11, 11 year contract. Eleven for an option for twelve. Who cares? I, whatever it's going to be. But eleven. It's not my money. Yeah, not my. That's the other thing. It's not my money. I don't care. At the end of the I don't day. understand why these people are so sensitive about like forty million dollars of Steve Cohen's money. Who cares? Who cares? I'll go buy. An, I'm. I'm fully interested in buying authentic jerseys again from the Mets shop. If they're if you're spending the forty million dollars <laughs> on Francisco Lindor, you give him the twelve for. 385 i'll buy all the authentic jerseys i'll buy yeah, i'll five, chip in i'll buy people in my section beers during the game whatever it is i'm ready to, i'm ready to chip in i tweeted cohen that the other night i said hey whatever it takes just know i'm here to give you a couple extra dollars if you need it like that's Anything you need that's all i want i just want the best to be good and cohen's at least trying it's if every single mets fan the five boroughs gave gave him five dollars we can meet this in the middle <laughs> dude who, were there mets fans in the past that like started a GoFundMe for the will and it was like guys 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 hold on a second hold on let's think about this we're starting to go fund me for the guys who are too cheap to spend money on <laughs> the people that work in their stadium for minimum wage. I think Clem last year started the GoFundMe to buy the Mets, which is a little bit different. That's better. But, That's yeah, better. better. I'm all for that. But yeah, I mean, like, I think that everyone's taking too much stock in the negotiations and I think everyone's taking it a little bit too personally from both sides. I'm not, I'm not saying Francisco Lindor or Steve Cohen. I'm saying the people who are like, sign Lindor. And if you don't, the Mets are back to their old ways of being cheap. And the people who are saying that, you know, Steve Cohen gave him $325 million. How do you say no? Like, how do you say no to $325 million? It's like, well, you're not a professional baseball player. You don't have millions of people watch you and buy your jerseys and care about what you do every single day. He has value. He's the product on the field. That's so the reason why people go to the games is to watch him. I, let's even talk about this now, more so with Steve Cohen. The tweets. The tweets are a little weird. <laughs> the tweets are a little weird. Yeah. You texted me yesterday, like, did you see that Cohen tweet? And I thought it was just the, the reply about brainstorming. I was like, oh, yeah, I saw the Steve Cohen tweet. And then I saw the actual Steve Cohen tweet. I was like, oh, I did not see the Steve Cohen tweet. Yeah, a little, a little interesting. So I think we're talking about the you know, heck of a player one, right? Yep, that's yeah, the one. So Steve Cohen, seven hours ago, at the time we're recording this, so it was 1241 Eastern Standard Time. Lindor is a heck of a player and a great guy. I hope he decides to sign. Like with poor poor grammar, what's that period doing on an island? Yeah, the period it's on an it's island. Ridiculous. I, I love space heck of period a. space. That's not that's not not hell of a heck of a heck of a yeah heck of a. So I like I don't know what to take in Steve Cohen's Twitter, and I think the the answer that I've come to myself is don't take anything into it. I think Steve Cohen's a little bit of a troll. I think he likes to just stir the pot a little bit. I think he knows what's going on, on the back end side, obviously. Uh, you know, it's his money. That's a lot of money. It's going to be coming out of his pocket. People are taking this as like doomsday. Like, I hope he decides to sign. I honestly think he might be fucking with us. And I think that he knows something a little bit more. I think it's possible that this is just like a joke or a troll and they know they're close enough with enough time to get it done. But there's a galaxy where that might be a leverage play. Like, you're putting the onus on Lindor. I hope he decides to sign. Like, I like that's like kind of taking the fault out of yourself in the negotiations. Which, again, I'm not crucifying the man. We still have some time. I'm not going to talk any shit. 
But like that is what that seems like. Like I hope he decides to sign. Not, I hope we can sign him. He's putting every single thing on Lindor. Same Lord's balls yeah. in your court, like kind of. Hundred percent. Francesa did the same thing again to bring up Mike Francesa twice. Francesa's a legend of the game. I will not talk shit about Francesa. However, he, he has miles past his prime. Yeah, no. And his take today really showed that. With ah, he doesn't want it. Go get somebody else. It's like, it's like who? Who else, Mike? <laughs> like the fr- the free agent market's really good next year for shortstops, but Lindor's still the top guy. It is, but. I will say now we're transitioning the free agent market. This entire negotiation has really dampened any kind of opportunity to re-sign Michael Conforto. But I think I saw a tweet earlier. I don't know if it was from Tacoma. Yeah, or no, it was Tacoma, yeah. About how there's no deadline for Conforto. He said he'll talk during the season, so... Of course, but I don't, I don't know how much negotiation can actually get done during the season. And the second point is that next year, as talented as next year's free agent shortstops are the outfielders are atrocious not that they're bad players but there's no one who has is young and good at the same time like and for those the only guy who hits both those bars so like, i i almost think he'd be foolish not to test the market i wouldn't i don't want him to yeah but he also like has the the issue of like being a corner outfielder and like a pretty average corner outfielder and i feel like right now a lot of teams are not prioritizing that i mean we saw ozuna not many people seem to be particularly interested in Ozuna. And after the numbers that he's put up and put up in the past, I think Michael Conforto is a better hitter. I think he's a better player. I don't think he's a better hitter. I think he's a much better fielder. But Ozuna, Ozuna's a freak of nature. He's sick, a sick hitter. He puts he he puts up hurting on the baseball. You know, he hits the ball <laughs> like, very hard. But I feel like yeah. Conforto's like, he's the on base with him too he is just, yeah, no, that's where I think it bad. elevates him over Ozuna. Ozuna hits for more power, no doubt. He hits the ball harder. But like Conforto, I think is a more like complete hitter, which is hard to say because Ozuna also hit like what, 320 last year? So Yeah, and I think in like he was like top one. He's been top 1% in like exit velocity and hard hit for the last couple of years. His strikeout rate's going down. But this is not a Marcelo Ozuna podcast. This is a Mets podcast. But next year's free agent crop of outfielders are Tommy Pham, Starling Marte, Kyle Schwarber, Eddie Rosario, Corey Dickerson, Castellanos has an opt-out, might not take it, Blackman player option, I'm sure he'll sign back in, McCutcheon, and Jackie Bradley Jr. Michael Conforto is so head and shoulders as like a pure free agent value, going to be 28 or 29 when he hits the market next year, is so head and shoulders above every single one of those players. It, it would be shocking for him not to get out there. Yeah, I mean, like, he's he's definitely going to demand a lot. And again, he's going to be probably looking for that at least eight-year contract with what his age definitely. is going to be and probably trying at to least get... Tw- yeah, $25 yeah. Million a year. So he's going to be a guy who's going to be over, you know, $200 million. You're going to have to pay him. And not that I don't want to pay him. I obviously do. I want Conforto on the team for a long time. He's, you know, one of the best hitting guys that we've watched in our lifetime in our 25 yeah. years. And we've seen him grow up. Yeah, he's, he's one of us. He's one of our guys. And you want to keep some of your guys around for sure. Not that the Mets aren't going to be able to. We have kept a lot of our guys. But he's one of those dudes who was, he was there in 2015. Like, he's almost like, he's a homegrown guy. You want to see him do well. So I would love to keep him around. I think we are. I really am not nervous about Conforto. I don't think we're going to. If I had, like, if I, if I had to place a bet right now, yes or no. I'd probably say no. I'm also bad at betting, so I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> do you think that <laughs> the Lindor stuff is going to like it's it's do you think it's between Lindor and Conforto? Uh hmm. I don't think it's between them, but I think you only have a certain amount of resources that you can give to actual extension negotiations. I just think as the days go on, it's much harder. And also because they they have such different skill sets. Like it's much more difficult to find another Francisco Lindor than it is to find another Michael Conforto. Not that there is another Michael Conforto. But there are plenty of other power-hitting corner outfielders who are, like, slightly above-average fielders. Not a next year's free agent class. But, like, the, the way the Mets have been building up their system, 
and like not necessarily players we have in the upper minors right now or our outfield depth isn't very good but like there's a way to get him and like also talking about that class next year if you were to give Tommy Pham a one-year 12 million dollar contract you would recoup a like a decent amount of for this value when he's going to be taking $25 million somewhere. Same thing with the Castellanos, even though he's pissed in the field. But, but I'm saying, like, there there are avenues to find a corner outfielder, as we've seen throughout free agency the last couple of seasons. Yeah, so, I mean, like, it's it's a tough decision. I'm glad we don't have to make it because... Glad. If, it, like, seriously, trying to, like, balance the, you know, payroll situation. Luxury tax, it's not a cap, but it is. We know it is. Boy, would I hate would I hate five hundred million dollars burning a hole in my pocket know, to give right? to, to give to the two best players on the Imagine, team. Imagine like in the span of six months you're like well, there's a half a million dollars gone to yeah. two players. I hope we fucking win. <laughs> like that that, that that part of it also is crazy, especially if they want to stay below the luxury tax next year and they will be in the mix for Thor and for Strowman. That's a ton of money of guys who are immediately free agents. That doesn't even include being in the mix for other free agents next season. Yeah, I mean, we do lose some guys off the books. And it would be nice if, you know, maybe Cano takes some more steroids and we don't have to pay him anymore. But, yeah, I mean, it, the Mets are coming into... There's going to have to be a decision that's made. And I know Cohen hasn't been hard on the luxury tax. He said, like, we're going to spend when we need to. Like, he's not concerned with it. But I think there's probably going to have to be, like, an organizational decision made at some point about what they're going to do with the spending because... Are you going to be the Dodgers and you're going to say, we don't care, we're going to spend, we're going to get the best players, or are we going to be maybe like the Yankees who are trying to consciously stay under, look for the sneaky guys every once in a while, still get the big names when they come around, which is, I imagine saying that, by the way, trying to get sneaky guys on the Yankees and not spend yeah. as much, but... <laughs> we could be the rich team like the Dodgers or a poor team like the Yankees. Yeah, it's yeah. up to Steve Cohen. It's up to Steve Cohen. These are great problems, like the fact that the Mets have the options of signing players for hundreds of millions of dollars and deciding who is worth it or who is going to get it and who might not. But also, it I don't even think that Steve Cohen knows because the, when the Dodgers' ownership changed, they were like steadfast with their money for a few years. And all of a sudden, once you get close to winning and you like taste it and you feel it and you know you're right there, fuck it. Make like it you, just, you are going to start just spending money trying to get over that hump any way possible. And I think... That could happen with Steve. I think actually, you know, I think it will happen with Steve Cohen because he has more money than these people. I think it will too because like, especially when he gave like the three to five year plan. And I think like even just throwing out a number of $325 million to Lindor, you don't do that. I don't think without thinking that you're going to have to spend more and be able to spend more to take or to do what it takes to win. Especially when you threw, what was it? $45 million at Trevor Bauer this offseason too. And we got, you know, we went after George Springer. We offered him a ton of money. Like, the Mets have not been shy in trying to throw out the money. It's just our people accepting it right now. Yes, they're just hitting their spots. And if their spot is exceeded, they seem to be okay with that, which is positive in the long term. Of course, the long term is not the next 48 hours when I'm shitting my pants, hoping they side Francisco Lindor. But like, and also it's important to remember, like logistically, like there is an exclusive negotiating window that will happen after the season with both of these guys. It's not ideal. It's not optimal, but it will exist. I think there's like the time between like the end of the World Series and like whenever like the new league year begins, you have exclusive rights to negotiate with your own free agents. A possibility exists. There's something there. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, again, like, I think we, we love saying this. This might be the phrase of our podcast, but we have a lot of really good problems. Like, all the problems great that problems. we have are so great right now. And the fact that we're talking about the Mets possibly signing two players for a total of half a billion dollars is something that if you told me even you know, seven, eight months ago that that was a conversation. We've been like, how, how, what happened? Did the Wilpons, you know, get a part of the Madoff scheme and hit big again? Like, <laughs> I just couldn't even imagine spending that amount of money a couple months ago. So 
I will say, this is like a little bit of breaking news that won't be breaking when you do it. But Pete said, pay him 400 Whoa, where do you say that? Because he doesn't have social media. Disha tweeted it. So I'm thinking that maybe he just told her. Yeah, he told he told Disha Thosar, great reporter for the Daily News in an interview. Pay him 400 Absolutely, no question about it. Not only is he a superstar on the field, he pays attention, he works hard, he cares about his teammates. Not only does he have the quantifiable numbers of a superstar, he has the X factor. What he brings to a clubhouse is tremendous and can't be measured along with his superstar talent. Let's give him all my money. I'm pulling out my Damn. wallet. Damn. Right <laughs> wow. Pulling out the wallet. That's a, take as it. A ring, I take as the a, money. <laughs> <laughs> take the money. Give it to him. As a ringing endorsement. I have a nice bundle of change here. That's yeah, not give, even him, mine. give him your coins. Whatever it is, <laughs> yeah. give him the coins. Take it. Take the money right now. If that's like... I think... You know, your teammates and what they say, too, like really does matter. You hear a lot about guys that are great teammates all the time. We had it with Todd Frazier. It kept him around the Mets for multiple years past when he should have been here. But I think like that endorsement, I think, does ring ring pretty large. Very in, large. In terms of, like, we know he's good. But the fact that like, what have the Mets spent with him? A month? A month and a half? And they're already like, this is this is the guy. This is it. He came in here. This is the guy. That's why that, that is so jarring. Pete has only known this guy for like a month. With his impact in the clubhouse, it's not even the clubhouse. Yeah, like <laughs> you can't crazy. even really hang out because of COVID yeah. stuff. You're supposed to like, put your clothes well, we on, get out to probably. the field, yeah. take your clothes off, leave. Like it's, it's kind of hysterical, honestly, that he said that without social media too. That's nuts. Like, yeah, he's like, I need, to, I need to get my message out to somebody. That makes that makes that even more influential. I think it also means that they're stressed about it. That the players are very aware of what's going on. They want him there. Yes. I think they know that like he really is a key piece to like taking the Mets to the next level. They know how good they are. They know how good they could have been the last few years, and they've shown it at points. And now they're like, and that's with essentially a shortstop that, outside of Jimenez last year, didn't play great defense, had no defense, was pretty terrible at shortstop. Dude, the Mets went to the World Series in 2015 without a shortstop on the roster. Wilmer Flores was playing shortstop. Literally, no. They, the Mets didn't have a shortstop and went to the World Series. I mean, that's you, nuts. The Mets also, you could talk about the Mets at every position with that 2015 World Series seem to go from the offensive side. It was not even remotely close to what we have now. Now it's no. just miles better. And the pitching was a lot stronger from a starting rotation side then. But the pitching now is still pretty solid. I, I'm liking all the moves that we made. DeGrom is DeGrom. DeGrom is DeGrom. Do you want to talk about DeGrom now? You've been wanting to talk about DeGrom a little bit, so I'm going to give you your time to give you a little DeGrom appreciation post here. This is some DeGrom appreciation, because we have talked a lot in this podcast about like depth pieces, some minutia, some of the four-stars, some of the five-star, a little bit about Stroman, but we have not talked about Jacob DeGrom, who's unquestionably the best pitcher on planet Earth, who is just aging like a fine wine. Like, we just sit him on the cellar, and he just continues to get better. It's crazy. He, the ground, this all this feels, like, very low to me, and I was looking this up the other day. But he's the, only the 21st pitcher ever to have multiple Cy Youngs. And I think he'll end up being, hopefully, if, when, whatever, he gets his third. He will be, like, the seventh or the sixth to ever have three. And every single one of those guys is in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, he's, like... I'll let you keep going, but he's like the weird kind of case where he's a dude who is not going to have anywhere close to the counting numbers. Never, but if all, but if all said is done, is going to be a Hall of Famer, and not because of his counting numbers, just because of how dominant he was during his era. You you have to put him in. He's like becoming kind of like Kofaxian, where he's putting together year after year in a short window. That's like so unbelievably amazing. Like over the last four seasons, he has the highest WAR on both Baseball Reference and Fangraphs for any pitcher. Crazy. He even has the third highest in all of baseball, batters included. The only guys more valuable in both both war calculations, literally, over the last four seasons are Mookie Betts and Mike Trout. And you're talking about 
the undoubtedly two best players in baseball. Literally, and Jacob deGrom only steps on the baseball field about 30 times a year. Wait, you said that was the last four years, so that's what, 2017 and 2020? 2017, 18, 19, 20. So that's 107 games, 107 starts, still not even a full major league season of a position player. No, a bad one, (laughs) a platoon guy. That's crazy. And literally, and those 107 starts, that's fifth most in the league over that time. So he's still been like durable as crap. The only guys with more starts are Cole, Granke, Porcello, which is hysterical, Corbin, and Lance Lynn, which is also hysterical. What a weird group of guys. Yeah, and even though he's fifth in starts, he's first in innings. He has the most innings pitched in baseball over the last four years. Like, that shocked me. I really thought that was going to be Cole. But I guess even four years ago, Cole wasn't even really what he is right now. But the Mets, like have just been able to just, like, set their watch to Jacob deGrom. Like, every single five days, and it's been more five days than five games, he goes out there and he pitches. And he's just been, like, this has been beaten to death for years and years on Twitter, but he is so hysterically unlucky. It's, like, not even funny. Like, (laughs) over those four seasons where he has the most war of any pitcher, third most in baseball, most innings pitched, fifth most starts, a 2.5 ERA, 2.6 FIP, 32% K rate, a whip right at one. He's 40 and 29. He is 40 and 29. Which is like, honestly, like if you didn't know how many starts he was making, like 40 and 29. All right, that's pretty solid. good, yeah. Not bad. If you told me that was Porcello, I'd be like, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. John Neese. All right, I'll take it. He's lost 29 games. He's only given up four runs or more 13 times in four years. And and 117 times. It's like 10% basically. That's nuts. And he has given up two runs or less 79 times pretty good not bad that's an entire career it's not bad that's not bad at all <laughs> and the worst stat i've pulled from all of this that just breaks my heart and brings tears to my eyes the mets are 53 and 54 in jacob Degrom starts since the start of 2017 how does that even happen how does that even the happen? best the best but almost one of the best stretches for a pitcher of all time at least since they lowered the mound and the mets are under 500 in these four seasons <laughs> how does that even happen it's crazy. that doesn't even make sense uh, going back, by the way, to just how like unlucky Jacob Degrom has been, like with wins and losses. Some of the guys that have more wins over that four-year stretch than him: Jay Happ, Mike Fires, Patrick Corbin, up. Rick Porcello, John Lester. I mean, and and then guys tied with him: Corey Kluber, Dallas Keuchel. Corey Kluber hasn't pitched in like two years. No, but it really hasn't. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> this just gets rid of every single inclination that the win could ever be a stat that should be used to like determine a pitcher's value or how good somebody is. It's insane. You know, I mean, like 300 win club, still sick. Like, dope. That's awesome. Like, you can't be a bad pitcher and win 300 games kind of thing. There's like, that's never going to happen again. No one's going to three. DeGrom's not even going to hit 150. Like, he, he's going to change the entire way that baseball writers perceive pitchers in the Hall of Fame. Because like he's gonna have like not, he's not even gonna have twelve hundred innings. He might he might sneak there, but he's not gonna have one hundred fifty wins. His he's, I don't know how many strikeouts he's gonna have. He's so good he might he might sneak into like twenty five hundred, but it really it, probably not. It's funny how like he's gonna change the way that baseball writers think about the Hall of Fame, and then you even go like back a little bit further, and it's like Felix Hernandez changed how baseball writers thought about the Cy Young, where it's like King Felix won with like basically a five hundred record. He wasn't. I think he had ten wins. Yeah, he ten and nine. Ten and nine or whatever he was. Just like Degrom was in twenty eighteen when he had a one seventy ERA yes. and won the Cy Young. So like these, he's changing the game and like for a better because we really should not put any value whatsoever in wins. It's a cool counting stat. Back in the day when pitchers pitched eight to nine innings minimum every single time, because then they really did have an impact on the win or a loss. But. Yeah, when you're, I mean, just getting screwed by your bullpen or not scoring any runs, like it's, it's his, he shouldn't play the lottery. Not that he needs to, but he shouldn't no. play it. He's unlucky. <laughs> no, he shouldn't. That's why I just, one of these years is going to happen where the Mets, it's gonna, all going to coalesce, where he's going to be incredible and the Mets are actually going to be good on offense and he's going to make like 31 starts and win like 24 games. But like the number one thing that's going to keep DeGrom good 
hopefully knocking on everything I have here, is he is just throwing the ball so much harder than he ever has. Crazy. Which is just ignorant. It's stupid. It's sitting like, 101. Literally, over these four years, his fastball velocity has increased from 94 to 95 to 96 to 98 and a half last year. He hit 100 miles an hour 33 times last season. 33 times. That's not rounding up. No 99.5s included there. Zero. That he only done it twice before in his career, and both happened in 2019. 33 times. It was only a third of a season. He could have hit 100 100 times. He could have hit the double 100 century mark. Yeah, he's just like... He's a guy who you clearly see, like, isn't satisfied with being as good as he is, which is crazy. Because, like, if you were to tell me that he's like, yeah, I'm really good. I don't really need to do too much else. I'd be like, you're right. You don't need to do too much else. I'll take this every single day. But he's like, no, I want to be better. Like, this isn't good enough. I'm not throwing hard enough. My slider's not good enough. My changeup isn't good enough. I'm not going inside on batters enough. Like, he just, he does literally whatever he wants because he focuses so much on getting better. He's put four miles an hour on his fastball in four years from ages 28 to 32. Like, what the fuck is that? That's alien shit. And it's not like he threw slow either. It's not like he's going from like 88 to 92. 94. Oh, so soft. Dude, he he hit 95 with a slider last week against the Astros. And I think he threw like a 94, 93 mile an hour changeup. It's like, that's better. He he hit 108 times in like four innings of a spring training start. Just just showing off. You know, he's just like, he's such a different animal than we've seen really from like a Mets pitcher. We've had some great pitchers in our time. But like, we remember when Harvey was the dark knight and he just like came out there and he shoved. And Jacob deGrom is like, nah, I don't need no nicknames. I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to pitch and I'm going to be Jacob deGrom. That's it. Like, I, I just don't care who you are. I'm better. That's it. Literally. And it's like, it looks like effortless. Like a lot of times guys are like max, max velo every single pitch. Like that's how you screw, screw yourself up. But he's just hanging out, chucking it in like 97, 98, 97, 98, 101, bang. Like use it when he needs to. And as good as his fastball has become, like he's been dropping his fastball usage for the last couple of years to focus more on like his slider and his change. That turns a pitch into like a, like a, a swing and miss weapon. <laughs> well, like I feel like even with him, I think even last year you probably noticed it a lot more. Like with two strikes, he was able to throw that fastball and pitcher and batters were just like, what? Like why, why are you throwing that there? Like almost like they were caught off guard. We're like, you really went fastball? And it was 101? On the corner, knees? How do I hit that? It's got to be a lot of this is Hefner, too. Because Hefner had, like, the magic juju with the guys in the Twins where they were ever, like... Like, Martin Perez, after being, like, dog shit for his entire career, came out two years ago and was just pumping 96. Like, that's interesting. And even, like, Trevor May, I know he came back from Tommy John, too, so that was a little bit part of it. But he's a guy who, like, credits Hefner big time to, like, how much better he's gotten. And you can see it in his numbers. Yeah, Odorizzi does, too. So, yeah, I mean, like, DeGrom, he's just... He's so good. I'm so excited to watch him this year. I'm so excited to watch this Mets team. Like, we have so many good players. This is, I think, probably at least in our lifetime, it's got to be the best the best roster that we've ever had. I think definitely. I don't think you even think it's that close. Like, the Mets have an unquestioned amount of depth compared to years past. Like, nothing's even remotely similar. Yeah, and then even at the surface. I mean, like, you, 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 Sick. you compare to the 2006 season, which is probably our other best time for a roster— the pitching is better because the pitching then wasn't particularly strong. It was Oliver Perez was the guy that we went to, you know, in big game moments. But I mean, Oliver Perez, the current the current reliever for the Cleveland Indians, yeah, yeah, and he'll be great this year because he will just he somehow figured out how to not be a loogie and say, ah, I'll just throw eighty six and no one's going to touch me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like you go through position by position, and this team is just equally as good at every position, or if not better. I love it. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm, I'm so, so excited. pumped. Opening day is what, 48 hours away, I think we're saying. Yeah. I'm going to the home opener too. I'm so excited. I'm going to be trying I'm to so, get out there. I'm so jacked up. Yeah. I can't I can't wait. Just like be back in the, at least be back in City uh, Field with fans. Uh, it's been so long. 
we lived so close to it and we were never it's never able disaster. to go with a nightmare and like now it, it, it's so close the light is at the end of the tunnel I, I almost thought about going down to washington this for these games but i was like eh, i don't really want to go to washington <laughs> yeah you're not you're much of a travel guy I, I like a good i like a good travel by plane you know four hours five hours whatever it's gonna take to washington dc i went to their ballpark their ballpark stinks yeah, it's kind of meh. It's not a great area either. No, not a great area. And I mean, it will be a Mets home game pretty much because Nats fans don't show up to anything. But absolutely, I'm going to take shots all I can. <laughs> but bang, cross yeah, the bow. I mean, bang, bang. Do we open against the Nationals every year? How does this keep happening? It feels it's like, like it. It's like at least four years in a row. We got the Nationals. And I remember like we had a stretch when we were younger that it felt like we were opening up against the Reds every year as well, which is a weird one because not even in division. I don't remember. <laughs> but I think it was like the like 2003 to like 2005. Mets opened up at the Reds every year, and Mike Piazza hit like two or three home runs in the opening series every year. I was like, this is such a weird, like, weird thing that's going to stick in my head forever. That feels like one of those memories, like, you know how everyone misspells the Bernstein Bears? Yes. That feels like one of those things that you put in your brain, it's just not true. Is that the butterfly effect? <laughs> no, the butterfly effect's different. This is the Mandela yeah, effect. Yeah, one thing changed. Yeah, Mandela effect. Yeah. Everyone thought Nelson Mandela was dead. The same thing with the, the Picasso effect. When do you think Pablo Picasso died? When do I think he died? Yeah. 1980s? Oh, that's pretty good. It's actually it. Most people would say like like the early 20th century, like 1800s. Whoa, <laughs> dude! Seriously, oh my god! People, on, that was like a thing on Twitter last year. One of like the, the quarantine days. So I was like, Pablo Picasso died in the 70s. What? Do we have a little Mandela effect going on with Lindor too? I'm bringing it back to that where people are like, Ah, he's just not that good. Like, well, it probably is. You're it wrong. Good in 18 months. Yeah, so many positive things to talk about. We, I think we pretty much covered all the bases except for one. We have one more base to cover. And I'm going to let you take control of this one because you, I got to give you credit for blowing up this tweet. Whoever's hearing this, just know James DM'd me this tweet at, let me see what time it was because it was, uh, where is it? It was like moments after it was tweeted. You sent it to me at 1138 and at 1138 it had like under a hundred likes, no quote tweets, no one was talking Uh about it. Nothing. I then quote tweeted it and this thing has blown up to over a thousand quote tweets, uh, over a hundred retweets. 1700 likes how many replies does this thing have i i can't i can't even check i'm sure i'm sure gary myers who is the owner of this great tweet has been ratioed it is truly one of the most awful awful tweets awful takes i've ever seen in sports over a thousand replies by the way this is a guy who is a podcast host and is no he's um he's he's a a old school like new york sports beat writer he worked for the daily news for a long time i've actually met him before which is kind of funny yeah great writer i read him when i was young and i was like reading newspapers like a boomer but he okay here's a tweet yes again prefacing gary myers great writer probably passed his time i'll go back into it i remember mickey mandel signing for a hundred thousand dollars for the 1963 season francisco lindor just turned down two hundred thousand dollars per game from the mets when is enough enough he was offered 10 years for 325 wants 12 years for 385 until his age 39 season not a good look for Mr. Smile, especially in a pandemic. Especially in a pandemic. You got to throw that <laughs> Mickey, in there to guilt trip him a little bit. Mickey Mantle was drunk and hit 550 home runs. Why can't these guys do it with all the machines in the world? Like, just the fact that, like, inflation apparently doesn't matter to him yeah. at all. That, also, like, you know, team, teams make a little bit more money now. We have national television syndication. You know, Major League <laughs> Baseball is a billion-dollar yeah. business. So it's, I mean, like, just... I feel. I think the Yankees were sold in the 1960s for like 13 million dollars, possibly even less. Yeah, and I think like and that. I think Forbes just came out recently that they're the most valuable sports franchise in the Americas, and they are by like a good margin over the like top five teams, like maybe almost double what number two is. Gary Myers didn't even account for inflation, which would have put that hundred thousand dollars right pushing kissing one million. <laughs> Mickey Mantle was he greedy? 
Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Greedy bastard asking for 100000 back in 1963. Son of a bitch, Mickey. Mickey plays entire career in a torn ACL. Damn it, I wish they tore the other one too. And even then, the people that are giving Mickey Mantle shit probably for like $100,000. My goodness, was he's playing a game. Come on. And it's like... Look at this greedy punk. What, he's not going to get a second job in the offseason? He's not going to shine shoes with his teammates? If I don't see Francisco Lindor driving the bus... I don't want him on the team. Yeah, no. I mean, you get if cleaning the toilets, whatever it takes. If he's getting paid, you know, three hundred eighty-five million dollars, he better be he better be working for that three hundred eighty-five million dollars, especially, especially in a pandemic. Can't forget especially that. Especially in a pandemic. Can't especially that. in a pandemic. Because yeah. the pandemic has any sort of effect on how much Francisco Lindor should make as a baseball player. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really affected the market this offseason. It did affect a lot of the lower market, but the top-notch guys are always going to get paid. It's never going to change premium it's premium talent like this is what you need to win championship mike francesa put a, put up a good run for his money he's close but mike i'm sure he'll get i'm sure he'll get there one week mike will be a bad mets take it's coming we know it's coming but right now gary myers week two episode number two of the mets Dub podcast give him his crown whatever it is we need to like maybe it's like an upside down crown something goes on gary myers head for just the absolute worst tweet maybe it's just like a nice ball sack yeah just, <laughs> just balls on his face <laughs> Oh my god, we're having too much fun with that. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just picturing it and it's it's funny, it's funny. Balls are funny, I mean, what can I say? I mean, this, I think this is going to be our last podcast before opening day. I mean, we, we're full, I hope, we're full. I mean. <laughs> Listen, if Francisco Lindor signs an extension, I don't think we're going to come on here and do another podcast. You know what our opinion is going to be here? Fuck yeah, we're happy, we're excited. And, you know, you can find me on YouTube and you can find James's Twitter. Jeter had no range. We're going to be talking about it there, but we won't have a podcast episode um, until what we're probably coming back probably next week next Sunday. week early next week after the first series we're going to come back talk about opening day series talk about opening weekend preview what's coming up next that's what you guys can expect a dual week or twice a week podcast i guess that's that's probably the wording but twice a week a dual week <laughs> dual dual weekly yeah you know great with my words dual weekly. All, I, all i do is talk in front of a camera all day for my job can't even think of those words but yeah twice a week bi-weekly oh yeah bi-monthly would be twice yeah okay we're, we're sure it'll also be semi semi-weekly every other week oh i like that too okay but yeah Twice a week, you can expect to see us Monday, Thursday, Friday-ish, depending on, you know, what the Mets schedule is looking like. Talking Mets, talking baseball, Mets stuff, keeping it positive. A lot of things to be positive about here. Closing remarks, sign Francisco Lindor. That's pretty much where I stand. Opening day soon. Let's get messed up. Let's get messed up. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter, Instagram, the YouTube channel, Messed Up Podcast. If you're interested in the video version, it'll be up on YouTube. You can listen to us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere that there is a podcast. You can find us. So make sure that you do. Make sure you're listening. And I think that's where we're going to wrap up episode number two of the Mets Up Podcast. Opening days in 48 hours. We're catching that fat dub. And we'll see you guys all next time on the Mets Up Podcast. Peace out.